Good morning. And on a day of momentous announcements, it's my great pleasure to be hosting another LinkedIn Live. My name is Martin Fuller, and when I'm not doing this, I am the Head of Marketing Proposals and Responsible Business here at Veolia in the UK. This morning, I'm delighted to be joined by Andrew Brown. He's the Executive Director of the Veolia Environmental Trust. And for those of you who may not be aware, the Viola Environmental Trust is a registered charity that supports community and environmental projects across England. Andrew is going to be talking to me and telling me about the impact of the Trust's funding on the projects it supports, and hopefully he'll be sharing some of his personal highlights from his time with the Trust. Andrew, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, morning, uh, Martin. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm Andrew Brown. As you mentioned, I'm the uh, Executive Director of the Veolia Environmental Trust. Uh, been in the role uh, just over a year now, so still uh, quite fresh-faced and, and kind of working things out in, in some respects, but uh, looking forward to telling you about what we do today. Excellent. Um, you know, in keeping with the day, anybody resigned yet? Um, everybody else seems to be resigning, don't they? Uh, th thankfully, no one at the truck. Uh, Nobody at the truck. Good. I'm hoping that you give me uh, a, an easier grilling than uh, the liaison committee uh, over <laughs> yesterday. Yes, yes. Um, it, it's a momentous day, but we're stealing the limelight for the next 20 minutes or so. Andrew, I'm going to get straight into the questions because I think this is going to be one of those conversations that, that runs and runs. I'm going to ask you first about what the Environmental Trust does and the kind of projects that it supports, because I'm sure a lot of people watching this back may not know. Yeah, um, thanks. Uh, well, yeah, the, so the Trust, uh, as you mentioned, we're a registered charity and we're a grant-making charity that distributes funding from uh, something called the Landfill Communities Fund. Um, and that fund was set up back in 1996. And the idea is that uh, money from uh, landfill tax, a proportion of that is uh, given to us as a charity to enable us to fund projects uh, in the vicinity of landfill sites. So the, the aim of the, the fund is to give something back to communities who have to live uh, near a landfill site. And so obviously all of our funding comes from Veolia um, and we distribute about 5 million per year to uh, community okay. and environmental projects. Um, That's quite a significant amount, isn't it? 5 it, million. Yeah, it is. I mean, it varies a little bit because it's kind of dependent on mm. landfill volumes uh, and so on. But it's, it's roughly somewhere between a, a million and a million and a half per quarter. Um, so over the years, I think since we since we came into existence back in 1997, we've awarded somewhere in the region of 95 million to about 2,500 projects. So it's pretty pretty significant, yeah. Yeah, fabulous. And what kind of projects are receiving that that funding then? Uh, it's a really broad range, actually, uh, and 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 that's quite a challenge for us uh, as a grant maker because you know we we fund quite a lot of different stuff. So um, we fund things like nature reserves, parks, community gardens, things like that, uh, right through to things like sports clubs uh, and community buildings like village halls and, and community centres. Um, yeah, and a lot of those projects uh, are delivered by sort of small grassroots community groups. So it's real, 
it's really kind of on the ground uh, funding usually. That's fantastic. So it really is in the heart of the communities and in and, and supporting, you know, that range there from from sports clubs to to wildlife areas to to, to habitats. I know there's there's one not too far from me, um, and it's always nice when I go for a walk through the the wooded area there. I, I, the logo is there on the on the side of the gatepost, and, uh, and that always makes me smile. Always yeah. makes me smile. Yeah, um, well, everyone I know who works in funding, we're all kind of uh, logo nerds. You know, the first thing we do when we go anywhere, we're not enjoying where we go. We're looking who funded it and, and seeing who's, <laughs> who's got the plaque on the gate. Um, it's always uh, always fun. It's, it's yeah, yeah, you've got to have a hobby, Andrew. Um, <laughs> it keeps you sane. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned the types of projects, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, Yes, the plaques are there, but, but what's the impact? What, what's, what's happening because of these projects? What sort of things are we facilitating? Um, it, it's a lot, a lot of stuff, actually. So a lot of the awards we make um, are relatively small. They're between mm. 10,000 and 75,000 um, pounds. But we do okay. occasionally make larger grants, sometimes around you know, half a million pounds to, to larger projects. And those large projects tend to be things like landscape scale biodiversity projects. And, and those obviously have a huge impact on things like habitat creation and species preservation and um, carbon reduction, things like that. But those small projects that I mentioned, those small grants, they can make a massive difference, too. Because if you think of, you know, you think of a grassroots community group uh, who's come together, they've got an issue in their community that they want to solve. A grant of £10,000 to a group like that can be transformative. It can mm. be, be the catalyst that kind of shows that community, community that a action is possible. So it can get them started and give them the, the resources to make their, their neighbourhood a better place. So, so we always see that, you know, what we think of as small amounts of money because we're distributing you know millions per year to to the communities we fund the impact is is huge yeah uh, that just just hearing that's reminded me of um of, of Antoine Ferreau and, and one of his his messages you know and his he often talks or talked when he, he was uh, before Estelle about Veolia's purpose and our purpose was to be you know to be useful uh, and certainly this is another uh, another great example of how we're useful to the society and the community we, we work and live in. So um, it's really quite impressive to hear that. Um, you mentioned, you know, the, the scale of, of the projects, but, you know, uh, is there any standout projects for you, you know, that, that you've been involved with or, you, the, you know, the funding has been given granted to over the years? Anything stands out for you? Yeah, I, th I thought you might ask Ask me that, and I've got I've got a list as long as my arm. So, um, <laughs> okay, well, you know, we've got time. This could take some time. Um, no, I, I think that's the thing. Actually, in in when you work in grant making, you see a lot of projects, and they're all good because they're all kind of important in different ways. But every now and again, some do really kind of spring to mind. And, and there's mm. one I start with one that's in the forefront of my mind mainly because mm. I went to visit them last last week. It's um, Cody Dock in London. Uh, okay. It's a project that we funded back in 2019 uh, to an organisation called the Gasworks Dock Partnership, and we awarded them um, about £340,000. 
and that funding is to create a visitor centre and community venue at their site in uh, that Docklands area. And, it, and it's a real, um, you know, it's a former industrial area. It's proper. It was a proper yeah. working dock in the centre of London. It's actually on the River Lee, which nobody seems to have ever, ever heard of, but it's a, it's a tributary of, of the Thames. Um, and they've been turning that site into a community space. So there's a community garden. They've done loads of work to make it a haven for wildlife by uh, planting and protecting reed beds along the river. Um, they've um, created a footpath along the river linking up other nature reserves uh, and making it kind of a, a leisure area for the local community. But I think the thing that really struck me about it was that it's such a community volunteer led project. The whole community is involved both in, um, you know, doing some of the kind of building work that's going on, but also, um, providing activities and, and events there. Um, and so, you know, if you've been to London lately, you'll probably notice there's, there's building work going on everywhere, development everywhere. And so communities, I think, can sometimes feel a bit dwarfed by all of that sort of commercial activity. But what this group is doing is finding links with uh, those developers to make sure that biodiversity is looked after in any developments and that community needs are thought about. So it's a really good uh, project for um, linking up everything that's going on in that area of London and, and protecting that space for the community and um, and for wildlife. And that, you know, that's what we're about, you know, that, that, that community and wildlife uh, biodiversity link. That, that sounds that sounds really impressive. Um, uh, you mentioned though you've got a list as long as your arm. Have you got another one that you could talk to us about and, and, and enthuse me about? I'm I'm desperate to get down there to see that one. But uh, tell me another one. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the, another one is the Northern Forest. Um, this was a, a grant of six hundred thousand pounds that we gave to the Woodland Trust a few years back. Hmm. Um, now the reason why I find this one particularly interesting is because it's doing something that not a lot of other funders are, are massively interested in doing. And that um, protecting existing woodland. Um, so obviously, you know, lots of people are, are very keen on tree planting and creating new forests. And that's great. And it's really important, um, especially in terms of climate change and biodiversity. But what sometimes gets forgotten about is the need to protect those existing woodlands um, the, the Woodland Trust uh, published a report not so long ago showing that actually the, the, the state of woodlands in the UK is pretty poor uh, in terms of the health of those forests and biodiversity. So our funding has gone into uh, numerous sites across the north of England to do things like um, improve the quality of the woodland, but also um, to improve public access. So, so you've got that link re-established between communities and the nature on their doorstep uh, so they see the value in it they look after it they value it and so i, I really like uh, that particular project as well that's a uh, been a yorkshireman yes I, i'm i'm gonna say i like that one too that's uh, it's something this is the one that's going to effectively link from liverpool to hull with a 
a, a, a nature corridor, which you know, when you think about it, that, that's just such a such a future to provide, isn't it? Yeah, and so our funding is just part of what's going on. Mm. There's a much bigger project with the Trust to do exactly what you said to kind of link up those areas. And I think that that's one thing that that's becoming increasingly important is. You know, we've got pockets of habitat across the UK, but mm. they are divided up by motorways and roads and housing estates and so on. So there's there's a real need to start linking those up so that um, biodiversity doesn't doesn't suffer. That's that's, that's great. And uh, so, how crucial do you think an organisation like the Viola Environmental Trust is for supporting communities. We made light of the current situation at the start of this, you know, which is um, we've got to remember people are affected by these things. Um, we're in a in difficult times, um, but not just difficult times in terms of, I guess, what's at the top of the news feeds at the moment. Um, we've got biodiversity collapse. You've mentioned biodiversity several times. We've got climate change. We've got issues like that, as well as the financial. Um, the trust, I, I'm beginning to think it, it plays a, a real big part. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, li I like to think that we do. Um, I think what we're seeing at the moment is community groups and charities really struggling to get important projects off the ground because, I, I mean, you know, the fundraising environment for small charities was tough before mm. the cost of living crisis. Now it's really difficult because... Those groups, you know, they want to improve something in their community. They think it's going to cost a certain amount of money. They go away and get everybody on board and they fill in their grant applications and stuff. And that takes six months. And in that time, costs have doubled. So, so yeah. what, what communities are finding is they get everybody excited uh, about something happening and then um, it can't go forward. And that, that really kind of loses that community buy-in. So... So, yeah, so, and, you know, our, we're finding our funding is, is becoming really crucial to those kind of, kind of groups. But it, it's not just about the money. Uh, I think what we try and do at the Trust is to find ways to support applicants in other ways. So by being as flexible as we possibly can. And um, that's quite difficult within the Landfill Communities Fund because there are quite a few rules and regulations about what the, fund, uh, what the funding can be spent on and can't be spent on. Um, but we try and be a funder with a sort of human face that kind of understands communities rather than just being a, a cash machine. And so, so part of that really, part of that um, additional support is, is not just looking at what we can provide, but looking at that kind of funding and community development landscape as a whole, working out who we can work with, who we can partner with to provide support with things like awareness raising and education and project expertise stuff that we can't necessarily do ourselves but that those communities need to get their projects moving so so it's about i know it's a bit of a cliched phrase but it's about joined up funding rather than just dishing out cash fabulous i, I andrew you're clearly passionate about this subject and and, and i think you, you'd have to be to, to do the job you're doing to the, the 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 success you're achieving and the impact we're having um thank you for that thank you um but it must affect you you know there must be times when you're, you're sitting down for tea and uh, and the fish fingers and chips are, are being placed in front of you um 
things must affect you personally, you know, has anything potentially changed your outlook and how communities work and thrive? Yeah, it's, uh, do you know, it's been quite humbling joining the trust because prior to that, I worked for a larger funder. And I think sometimes um, when you've worked in grant making for a long time, you can start to think that you know what communities want. You know about their problems because you've heard about them or you've, you know, you've seen a, a focus group or a report or something like that. What the trust has really shown me, because it's brought me closer to the applicants and the projects we fund, it's reminded me that every community is different. They all have different needs. They all have different uh, priorities and challenges. And the important thing is to get out from behind your desk and go and listen to those communities to make sure that your grant making meets those requirements. So I think that that's been my kind of biggest realization it's remembering that grant making is not just a, a job it's about the, the the people who are going to benefit from the funding so you've got to you've got to stay uh, linked um with them in, in any way you can and, ju and just one of the uh, you know one of the thing about the, the personal sort of impact um and and this is one people in grant making sometimes forget about as well is um what a great job it is what a dream job <laughs> to be able to come into work and give money away um you know to, to projects that are tackling um the climate and nature emergencies projects that are improving community well-being we get we get to give money away and there's not many people who are in that um privileged position so i i I'm often remind myself of that i, I don't eat uh fish fingers <laughs> um but, but over dinner, every now and again, I do kind of have to remind myself, God, what you know, what a great job it is to be able to do that. That's fabulous. Well, uh, I'm a fan of a fish finger, I'm afraid. So um, I'll eat your share. Um, <laughs> that's uh, great, you know, and I'm so grateful that you're sharing that insight with us, you know, and, and I think it's really refreshing and it's good to know. I think it'd be good for the people, you know, anybody who's going to be applying for funding to know that that's the outlook, that's the approach, that's the the ambition, and, and you, you're grateful for having that opportunity. I think that's a, a really refreshing, um, some really refreshing to hear that. We talked about the people, and, and there's a question that has come in that I, I need to ask, and that's, you know, where do people go to get more information about potentially funding their projects? Um, so the, the obvious one is to go to our website um which is uh violiatrust.org just double checking whether there's a it's like remembering your own phone number isn't it you never dial it yourself violiatrust.org and all the information's on there but what i what i would say and and this this kind of uh, harks back to what i was just saying about us staying connected with applicants it is better to pick up the phone and give us a ring to talk through your project before you apply because what we find is um, people re read the guidance documents they maybe find things that are a bit unclear or where they're not sure if their project fits and they think well we'll put in an application anyway and see what happens that approach is very very rarely successful um, uh, with any funder um, so we we always recommend give us a call Tell us what your project is. We'll give you an honest assessment of, of whether that's likely to be funded because it's, re it's really competitive. We always receive 
many, many more applications than we can fund. Um, so um, give us a call or drop us an email to, to sort of talk it through first. And that raises the chances of success um, a great deal. But website is the first port of call and, our, and use our postcode checker on there because we can only fund in uh, certain areas mm. due to that uh, thing about the vicinity of a landfill site. So use that postcode checker first. That's great advice. And what we'll do is we'll make sure that we, we take that, uh, that link and that information and we'll post that um, as a comment underneath this recording. Um, I've got one more question for you, you Andrew. Um, and it's, it's the, always the last question you ask somebody. What's next? What's going to happen for the Viola Environmental Trust in the rest of 2022 and beyond? Um, I'm glad, glad you asked that because actually one of the things I was asked to do when I started at Trust was to uh, review our strategy. So we've just been through a, a major strategic review. And as you probably will have already picked up, um, the result of that is going to be us devoting much more of our funding to climate action and biodiversity projects. So we, we've always funded, um, you know, nature related projects, but it, it's just bringing us back to our environmental roots. You know, we're called the Veolia Environmental Trust. So we want projects that both help communities, but also um, tackle climate change and biodiversity. So, so you see a lot more, more from us on, on that. And that, that's obviously really aligned with, you know, Veolia's vision of ecological transformation. So everything, everything makes um, sense there. But we're also, one key thing that we're looking at doing is making our application processes more accessible um, and making um, diversity, equity and inclusion a, a real core plank of our approach. Uh, I'll be honest, it's really difficult for grant makers to get this right. Uh, I've seen lots of grant makers really struggle with how, you, how do you make your application process light touch and accessible but still get all the information you need to uh, to make a, a good, robust decision. Um, so that's something we're going to be working a lot on uh, uh, over the coming couple of years. Uh, also looking at how we can find opportunities to give grassroots communities a greater say in the projects funded in their area. Because um, I think all our research shows that sort of top down projects where you know, an organization kind of parachutes in and does something for the community. It's not sustainable. It, it's got to kind of come from the bottom up. Communities have got to be invested in it. So, we, and that starts you know, from us as well. So we want to um, find ways to involve um, communities in, in doing all of that. Um, and probably the final thing is um, measuring our impact a bit better. Um, so, you know, all funders are very good at talking about how much money they've given out. What, uh, what we're not brilliant at doing is looking at that long-term impact. So, so very shortly, uh, we'll be um, doing some communications with, with help of um, your colleagues in Veolia mm. about projects that we funded uh, 10 years ago. Uh, so we've got one, another Yorkshire one, you'll be pleased to know, Martin, that we've got the Create Barn. Um, <laughs> up in West Yorkshire, which was a Yorkshire Wildlife Trust project um, that we funded uh, and uh, to create a sort of community educational resource and it's a sort of eco-friendly building and they run uh, courses there. So we're, we're trying to do a lot more of that 
where we we look back at what we funded, we look at the impact it had, and we use that to show to the public what we're about and, and the kind of things that we want to fund. So you can expect a lot more of that kind of thing uh, from us. Uh, hope, well, I say you can expect in it. A lot of um, your team have helped us with that. So um, I'm hoping you, you think that's a good idea. Do uh, I do. It's the one up in Huddersfield, isn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah. I think it's Sturley Nature. I don't know the area brilliantly myself, but it's Sturley Nature Reserve. So it's actually part of a, uh, a nature reserve. And it's an old barn. It's called the Create Barn. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm familiar with it. It's, it's a fabulous project uh, and, uh, right. and, and a fabulous part of the world, obviously. Yeah. All the best people are born within sort of five miles of there. Um, <laughs> apparently. Um, Andrew, uh, it's been... <laughs> I can't believe we're, we're approaching the half hour mark and I'm going to have to, to uh, stop the, the conversation there. I, I've really enjoyed hearing from you. I think it's been really interesting and I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of reaction um, in the community about it. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks for explaining that to us, or everything about the Veolia Environmental Trust. Um, a short advertisement for what's coming next, uh, for our coming next, which is the next LinkedIn Live, which is going to take place on Thursday, the 21st of July at lunchtime. It's uh, Bring Your Own Packed Lunch LinkedIn Live. I'm going to be talking to Heather Foster, who is our set to lead for healthcare, education, and the public sector at Veolia UK. We're going to be talking about decarbonisation. It's a great topic. Um, it's one that is very, very close to my heart. And again, just like we've heard today, it's going to be something that I'm sure is going to have a powerful impact on anybody who can spend the time with us. Thank you, Andrew, and uh, goodbye. Thanks.